What's up, everybody? My name is Tony Hope, and you're listening to the Hear Me Roar podcast, a sports show where I run my mouth about all things sports. And today, I'm back at Georgia State University in Suite N278, and I'm bringing y'all another episode of the Hear Me Roar podcast. It's a rainy day. It's a gloomy day out here in the headquarters in Atlanta. Uh, you know, walking when I was walking to the building, it started drizzling on me, and I had on my fresh fit. You know, I don't care what type of weather it is. I'm always going to look fresh when I walk out the house. So I was going to let no uh, gray clouds and some rain uh, 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 scare me away from looking good out here on campus, make me feel good, smelling good. You know what I'm saying? I always walk out the house looking good, even though that rain try to ruin it. But guess what? I stay ready. I have my jacket. I have my umbrella. And I hope everybody out there is having a great day and not going to let these clouds interfere with y'all. It's going to rain again on the day that this episode is released. So don't let this weather get you down. Dress up. Look nice. Smell nice. And guess what? You're going to do nice. Um, I'm going to talk to you all today about the UFC fight night um, car between Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland that happened on December 3rd, last Saturday. It was a free UFC event. It was aired nationally on ESPN. And honestly, it was the perfect free event. If you happen to just be scrolling through the channels, you know, you didn't know what to, what to watch. It was a Saturday. If you didn't want to watch college football, go dogs. Or if you didn't want to watch the NBA basketball that took place, and you just happen to be scrolling, boom, a free UFC card with plenty of notable and familiar faces and names. And it had a great main event and a great main card. That was a great event to be shown nationally. And for free. UFC Fight Nights aren't free. They're included in an ESPN Plus package. Um, but this one, it was a great event. Uh, nine finishes total. All six fights on the main cards were finishes. So if you, like I said, if you are a rookie to the MMA scene or to the UFC, and you happen to tune in while the main card was going on, I guarantee you, you're a fan now. Or you're, I guarantee you, you're entertained at least. Then we had one submission on the main card and the rest were knockouts or TKOs. It was a great card. Good job by Dana White and the matchmakers to put this one together. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it from the prelims, the first fight of the night, all the way to the main event. It's my second card in a row that I've done that. And honestly, I like it. Before, um, maybe, maybe even two years ago, I would only touch the main event. It's either for reasons I just missed the prelims or the prelims didn't look entertaining because I didn't know anybody on the card. But now that my MMA knowledge has increased, I just literally watch from the prelims all the way to the main card now, and I find a lot of new fighters that I'd be watching or that I will be watching and looking out for on future cards. Um, like I said, the card was full of UFC vets like Rafael Dos Anjos, Steven Wonderboy Thompson, Clay Guida, Darren Elkins, Michael Johnson, Angela Hill, Scott Holtzman. Um, and that was actually Scott Holtzman's last fight um, against Clay Guida, but we'll get into that shortly. It was also the night of the underdogs. And by that, I mean seven underdogs on the betting lines that Vegas sets or whoever. I'm not a better, and I'm glad I'm not, because if I were to bet money on this card, I probably would have lost a lot. Because seven underdogs won. Seven. Now, someone out there made a whole bunch of money. Because I know there's people out there that um, 
if the odds are very close, if the betting line is very is is super close, they'll just bet on the underdog for the heck of it. But me personally, if I put money on this card and I'm watching this and I'm seeing all of these underdogs win when I bet for the for the overdog, the favor in the fight because the line was just that close, I'd be pissed off. And that's why I don't bet on sports, period. It's too unpredictable. And I like my money. And if I'm going to make my, if I'm going to earn money, I'm going to earn money. It, or rather, if I'm going to risk money, I'm going to risk my money in something I can control. I'll bet money on something that I'm participating in, but I can't bet on other sports. I can't bet on a professional sport, especially one like the UFC, that is so unpredictable. And that requires, you know, real money. Like, you know, I'm not going to bet no $100 on nobody in the UFC unless it's on a, unless it's an absolute favorite. And then even then, you won't be uh, making any real money. So that's why I don't bet. For those who did, for those who bet on this card and bet on those underdogs, congratulations. I saw somebody or I saw like a, 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 a if you bet on the underdogs in this card or on the seven underdogs that won, it was like a $20 bet won you, or no, a $100 bet won you like $42,000 or something like that. Saw it on the screen. Absolutely ridiculous amounts of money. This was also the night that was full of questionable haircuts. This is a free UFC event that was aired nationally on ESPN. And we had folks walking out to the cage with their hair half braided. I don't know about y'all. But I was, I was always raised to look good, look presentable, look professional, and to always, especially when it's a big event, get your hair cut. Make sure you walk out looking nice, right? But there are some of these folks on this card that walked out the locker room with their hair half braided. There's some folks out here that had to cut their hair off to make weight and revealed an absolutely horrendous Hairline. Just absolutely, it, it terrified me. Matt Schnell is who I'm talking about, by the way. Matt Schnell walked, had to cut his hair off to make weight. And what was underneath that once magnificent head of hair was a hairline so jacked up that they needed to censor it on national TV. This was on national TV. They needed to censor it. Straight up. And then Kevin Holland, I'll get it to him in just one second. He came, he came out with his hair half braided. Like he just had it done in the locker room. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just different. Uh, you walk out looking unique. Okay, that's one thing. We know we've seen a lot of unique haircuts on fight night. But to walk out looking like that? Come on. Let's get into the actual card and the actual things that went on. Um... Number one, the main event. We have to talk about the main event at first, as we always have and always will, because it was a showcase of great kickboxing by both men, but in particular, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who defeated Kevin Holland by TKO in the fourth round. And before I get into the actual events of the fight, I would just like to say that Kevin Holland's walkout song was Ghost by NBA Youngboy, and it perfectly matched his haircut. I wouldn't expect anything less from a man 
that walks out with his hair half braided. If you're comfortable doing that, or the only fan base, the only group of people I can see being comfortable walking out of the uh, the house, walking out of the locker room, walking out to the cage on national TV with their hair half braided, are NBA Youngboy fans. No disrespect. I love him as an artist. He's a great artist. Same thing with Kevin Holland. He's a great fighter. But nah, that threw me off. Heavy. However, congratulations to both of the men. They had Fight of the Night honors. It was a super fun fight. And a perfect main event for a free card. There wasn't anything boring about that fight. At all. It was strictly stand-up. Steven Thompson and uh, Kevin Holland um, agreed whether it was undisclosed or not undisclosed, whether it was an unwritten agreement or a handshake deal or whatever you may call it. They agreed to only have it be a stand-up fight. They wanted to just straight up hit each other. They didn't want to worry about grappling. They didn't want to worry about wrestling, jujitsu. I'm sure they didn't even train it for this uh, training camp. I can almost guarantee you not one of them seriously trained Wrestling or grappling in the lead up to this fight. In fact, Kevin Holland even took him down. Or my, um, um, excuse me, Stephen Thompson tripped in like the first round, I believe, and Kevin Holland hopped on top, but immediately got up, welcoming him back to the feet. And he he wanted to fight Stephen Thompson straight up. He wanted to beat Stephen Thompson at his own game, which is respectable, but it stupid. And we'll get into that in short. We'll get to that shortly. Um, the fight was called off by his by Kevin Holland's corner at the end of the fourth after Holland broke his right hand in the first round due to a cross. It's a fairly common injury. Um, you know, you're hitting the super. You know, you're hitting another man's skull with those thin, small gloves on. You landed the wrong way, or you hit the wrong part. Or you hit. You know, he just has a hard head. Hand shattered. I think he broke three knuckles. And then on top of that, Holland was blocking Wonder Boy's head kicks with only his back hand. And so let, let me break this down to y'all. Just for all my fighters out there, you already know what I'm about to say. Anyone who trains MMA or Muay Thai or kickboxing, you know what I'm about to say. But for those who don't, you do not want to block incoming kicks or oncoming kicks with just your hand or your arm. It is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for injury. It's a recipe for, you know, just pain. Okay? Especially when you're matched against a world-class athlete, a world-class striker like Wonderboy Thompson. He's a karate background kickboxer. So kicks are his game. He throws them fast and he throws them hard. So, like I said, Kevin Holland broke his hand in the first round but continued to want to stay on the feet. And when you're on the feet with a striker like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, you have to be ready for his kicks. A lot of professional fighters don't, especially in the MMA world, don't check kicks. We've seen injuries happen when you check a kick really well. We've seen what happens um, to Anderson Silva. 
Conor McGregor, we've seen the leg brace, and it can scare fighters away, and rightfully so. Isn't there nasty injuries? But you need to catch, check, or move out of the way of oncoming kicks. Kevin Holland did none of those things. So instead, Wonderboy is a southpaw striker, so when he and, and Kevin Holland is a orthodox fighter. So Stephen Wonderboy's left leg is going to be on a when he when he threw it, it was going to land on it was landing on Kevin Holland's back hand, the the back side of his face. Kevin Holland did not move out the way. And I understand that because Stephen Thompson throws his kicks super quick. Like I'm talking about lightning fast for a 39 year old. But you, he, he already broke his hand. So when he was just blocking it with, when he was only blocking it with his arm and blocking it by keeping his right hand up, it was doing more damage to that already compromised hand. And I think in the fourth round, Stephen Thompson keyed in on that. And there was a time where, where uh, Holland, Holland's back was against the cage. And he was just throwing those kicks hard and hard and fast. And he was only throwing them. Usually you want to set up your kicks. You want to set up your kicks with your hands or you want to set up the high kick by mixing some low kicks in. Wonderboy didn't do any of that. He was just straight up chopping at Holland's head, wanting to kick through his hand, kick through his arm that he was using to protect his face from those kicks. His The roundhouses, he was just bringing his shin Right to Holland's uh, face. And granted, Holland's hands were up, but it wasn't enough to block or to reduce the damage that the uh, that his kicks were um, doing. So this is a memo to all fighters, including myself, because I have a bad habit of doing that sometimes when I'm sparring. But if you know your opponent likes to kick, or if you see that your opponent is kicking you, you need to check, catch the kick, or move out of the way. Because if you just sit there and try to block these kicks with your arm or block these kicks with your hand, he's going to your opponent is going to kick you harder and harder and harder, just like Wonderboy Thompson did. He's going to get comfortable throwing those kicks, throw some more unpredictable strikes, and they can lead to some crazy injuries to your hand and your arm. And then, of course, the subsequent knockout that is, is, is impending because you refuse to catch, check, or move out the way. Plain and simple. Can't do that against, against uh, great strikers. You can't. A couple of them you can block, but eventually something's going to get through or something's going to break your arm or your hand. Plain and simple. But I'm going to give Stephen Wonderboy Thompson his props because at 39 years old, he looked so swift and fluid with his movement. It was a beautiful display of a karate-style kickboxing by Wonderboy. And I believe that he should only be booked against other kickboxers for entertainment purposes. He is still ranked. I think he's ranked number six in the welterweight division. But I don't believe that he will be challenging for the title anytime soon, in my honest opinion. And I believe that it is valid because the Westway division is full of top-tier grapplers and Wonderboy struggles against grapplers. 
before he beat Kevin Holland, he lost to top contenders Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, who are both grapplers. Yes, they can strike on their feet, and yes, they've gotten knockout finishes. Gilbert Burns has heavy hands, good boxing. But when you go against a kickboxer who is as long and as quick as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, you're not playing around on the feet. Especially against, uh, especially with Gilbert and uh, Bilal Muhammad, who are both shorter. So they took him down, and they grinded him out, which is what you're supposed to do. And with that, I lead into my critique of Kevin Holland in this fight. Okay? There was zero animosity between the two. They had a lot of respect for each other. They were talking to each other during the rounds. They were, you know, that's Kevin Holland's signature thing to do is to talk to his opponent while he's actively trying to hurt him as well as defend himself from being hurt. And they had an agreement, like I said earlier, to keep the fight standing the entire time. Zero grappling. There, there's a couple Muay Thai clinches in there, which I like. And near the end of the fight, in the fourth round, before his corner called it off, Kevin Holland took a couple shots, especially after Wonder Boy cracked him a couple times. And by the way, Kevin Holland has a chin on him. He got hit with some bombs. Wonder Boy's left hand was getting through clean. And of course, the head kicks. Look, Holland did not drop. He was standing until the fourth round. He did get dropped once. But he was not falling in those previous rounds. And it was shocking. Because those were some kicks from a, a, a world-class striker like Wonderboy Thompson. As someone so adept at putting people away with his striking. Holland ate a lot of those shots. But when he got caught with one in the fourth round, he did shoot a takedown. And that's understandable. His hand is broken. And, you know... At the end of the day, you still want to win. You know that you're. You, you, it's not looking good for you, so we can throw that agreement out the window or I can at least try to take you down. But Kevin Holland's pride caused him to lose, in my opinion. Kevin Holland is a good striker, but he's also a good grappler. He's got a finishes on the ground, off the mat. He's got a finishes... From his back. He knocked out Jacare Souza as he was laying on his back. So I believe that Kevin Holland should have threw that agreement out the window. They should have never even made, they should have never had that in the first place. And after the first or second round, and you see how this fight is kind of playing out, you it's a close fight, or your hand is broken, it's a close fight, and Wonder Boy is turning it up. He's not slowing it down. His movement is swift. His kicks are coming quick and fast. You you need to win the fight at the end of the day. Yes, it was entertaining. Yes, I had fun watching it. I'm sure you had fun participating. But like your corner told you at the end of the third round, turn this into an MMA fight. This is not kickboxing. And it's not like you don't know how to grapple. And it's not like you're the best kickboxer in your division. Okay? You needed to mix in every tool you had. Because, honestly, I don't think your stock 
I don't think Kevin Holland's stock rose at all after this fight. It was fun. It was entertaining. But he just lost to Hamzat Shemaev, which, you know, he took at such a short, you know, that that was destined to be an absolute destruction or uh, an absolute uh, uh, a massacre by um, Hamzat Shemaev. But this was a fight that I expected Holland to win. And he lost. And while, and like I said, it was a fun fight. By the end of the day, you're getting paid. Your coaches is getting paid. Your family is going to get paid by you winning. I want to see you win. I don't want to see you just have a fun fight. I want to see you win. At least Kevin Holland personally. And I'm sure he wanted to win. But after he broke his hand in that first round, that agreement should have went out the window. Look, even you can even tell him, look, Look, that agreement that we had earlier, we I'm throwing that out. I'm going in for a shot as soon as I get the chance. His corner even told him to turn into an MMA fight. Like, look, you're not it's not looking good. Okay? Your hands broken. His kicks are coming at you fast. He is outclassing you on the feet, just honestly. Please turn this into an MMA fight. This is what his corner told him. Kevin Holland's pride caused him to lose. Plain and simple. I don't look at him any differently. I don't look at... I don't. He's still a great fighter. I hope he gets better soon so I can see him back in the cage. But wins are what matter. Plain and simple. The co-main event was between uh, RDA... And Brian Barbarena, Rafael Dos Anjos defeated Bam Bam via rear naked choke in the second round. Now, Brian Barbarena is a brawler, and RDA being the UFC veteran and MMA veteran and just an absolute legend of the sport, completely negated that risk with his world-class grappling. There's no need for them to get into a slugfest because we know how that's going to turn out. That's how Bam Bam won his last fight. So there are that is the brawler style of fighting is legit when it gets to a certain level. When you start facing more veterans and you start facing a, a higher level competition, you're not going to be able to just sit there and you know brawl your way to a finish unless you're in a heavyweight division, okay? Because that's just all it takes is just one shot from those behemoths to put them to put one of them away. Otherwise, you will be outclassed one way or another, whether it's precise striking or whether it's grappling like RDA did. Okay? After he won, he RDA called out Conor McGregor, and that was just mind-blowing to me because I immediately felt like I was back in 2016 because Rafael Dos Anjos was meant to fight Conor McGregor, in 2016 on the UFC 196 card for the lightweight belt. And this was Conor McGregor's original attempt, an original opponent, in his quest to become the first double champion in UFC. Okay, if you recall, RDA was a champion before he broke his foot. And he had to pull out of the fight. 
And then he fought Eddie. Well, you know, as Conor McGregor went on to fight Nate Diaz twice, the lightweight division shifted with Eddie Alvarez capturing the belt. And then that's how Conor McGregor won the lightweight championship and be and earned that double champ status. And then, of course, after Eddie Alvarez, this could be Nurmagomedov, Nar- 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 and then Dustin Poirier again, or you know, it, it just never happened. Like the, the the RDA and Conor McGregor fight never came to fruition after RDA had to pull out because of his broken foot in his training camp. But now that they uh, RDA called him out, and Conor McGregor is he's he's, he's you know the most sought after fighter in the UFC. As of now, right? Everybody wants to fight him. Even Stephen Wonderboy Thompson said he would love to uh, welcome Conor McGregor back to the UFC whenever he decides to return, which is most likely going to be during International Fight Week in June. Or, no, in July, rather. Excuse me. Everybody wants to fight him. Michael Chandler wants to fight McGregor. Along with a whole bunch of other list of folks. Even Patty Pimblin even threw his name out there. But I like to see that RDA versus McGregor fight. Just for nostalgia purposes. Okay. 2015-2016 was the time when I was truly becoming an MMA fan. I watched the sport as a kid. You know. Talk about the, the era of Chuck Liddell and Rampage Jackson and Kane Velasquez and Frankie Edgar and George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva was on top. I watched that era, but I wasn't a true MMA fan because, in all honesty, Brock Lesnar was what led me to MMA. I was WWE first and foremost. But when I heard he was leaving... When I heard that this was what he was going to pursue, was going to the UFC, I was encapsulated because I was encapsulated because oh, I know him from WWE. Let me see what he does here. And I was just I became a fan ever since. But the McGregor era, we'll just call it that. 2015, 2016, 2017, those three years was when I truly became a NMA fan, a combat sports fan. I was hyped for the RDA McGregor fight. Okay. They were two of the top fighters in the UFC during that time period. So hearing that this fight could possibly happen seven, eight years later, I want to see it happen. And in my, in all honesty, if the UFC doesn't book RDA versus McGregor or Chandler versus McGregor, I don't care. I don't want to see Dustin Poirier fight him again. We already know how that's going to go. I'm not trying to see Dustin Poirier fight this man who has been on, you know, out of commission, not even in the USADA pool, with all that ring rust. I don't want to see that. I want to see something that's going to guarantee explosions, like Michael Chandler. That's a good fight right there. Or RDA. That's a good fight because of the nostalgia that comes with it. And I believe it will be different. You know, yeah, RDA is a grappler. But he also is good on his feet. 
He's also adept to striking. Conor McGregor is also adept to fighting grapplers. He has defended his, or he has won. He won the lightweight belt from Eddie Alvarez, a grappler. And yes, I know it was all those years ago and blah, blah, blah. But he's still an MMA fighter. He is still, he still knows how to defend himself from someone who wants to take him down. Okay. Also during that fight, RDA surpassed Frankie Edgar as the all-time leader for the most cage time in UFC history with eight total hours spent in the octagon. That is an insane time. Like that, that is just insane to hear. That's a nine of five that you spent fighting. One work day. And that's how much time he spent in the cage. That's that that is insane to hear. Especially that you know that. MMA round or in the UFC, each round is five minutes. That means multiple main events, multiple title fights, multiple decisions that you won. That just means that you are a true fighter. If you can last eight hours in the cage. Not only that, he's up there in age. Like he said after in his post fight interview, you know, while he was when he was champion. And while he was, you know, on he was a true contender, fighters like Kamaru Usman were on the undercard. And Francis Ngannou was on the undercard. It was on the prelims. But RDA is still co-main eventing events and winning. Truly a legend. Truly a legend. Um, another fight that really impressed me on that main card was Sergey Pavlovich. Knocking out Tai Tuivasa within the first minute of the fight, and not just a not 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 just some you know crazy brawl between two mastodon heavyweights that just resulted in someone just getting caught wrong. No, I'm talking about Sergey Pavlovich sparked Tuivasa. Like it wasn't even you know he might have gotten caught a couple times. Matter of fact, Tai Tuivasa. Landed a total of two strikes on Sergey Pavlovich. Two strikes compared to 23 by Sergey. And all of them were thrown with the intent to knock him out. All of them were clean and precise. That was a great display of boxing. At the beginning of the fight, they both, you know, walked up to each other, dapped each other up, gave each other a hug because they both knew how this fight was ending. Neither one of them wanted to wrestle. Neither one of them were, were a grappler. They knew how this was ending. It was going to end with one of them being knocked out. Cold. And that's what happened. In the first minute, within the first minute, it was 54 seconds. 54 seconds. And it, 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 it was so great that Sergey Pavlovich won performance of the night. He looked good out there against a, you know, a contender tied to Ivasa. He did not let it dissolve into a nasty and unpredictable brawl like how some heavyweight fights can get. And that's how Tai Tuivasa's fighting style is anyways, honestly. Tai Tuivasa is a brawler. Because you might catch him, but if you come in there uh, sloppy and you come in there not not um, with your hands down and thinking that you have him on the ropes, he will throw an uppercut or overhand out of nowhere that will catch you. Sergey didn't even let that come down to it. He had his hands up the whole time. A lot of straight punches, not looping. 
and he looked good out there. This is the second fight in a row that he won in the first within the first 55 seconds of the first round. He did it against Derek Lewis in July, and then he did it again against Tui Tuivasa or Tai Tuivasa on this last card. He's a true contender. Please understand that. He was a favorite in this fight, and he was a favorite for a reason. The next fight that Sergey Pavlovich competes in needs to be against Cyril Gaon. I don't want to. I don't want to see him against Francis Ngannou for the simple fact that he is not good enough to beat him. This is facts, and anyone who thinks so is just straight up recency bias. We saw how good Francis Ngannou looked against Stipe Miocic to capture the title, and then we saw how good he looked against Cyril Gaon to defend the title. Francis Ngannou, just because he's been away for this whole year, that does not make him a slouch. Now, I do believe Cyril Gaon versus Sergey Pavlovich is a better fight because Cyril Gaon lost to Francis Ngannou, and, but he also beat Tai Tuivasa. Now, if Sergey is able to beat Cyril Gaon, who is a demigod, how quick he is, how strong he is, how athletic Sirogan is, adept on the ground and on the feet, a very multifaceted, versatile striker. If Sergey can get the job done against him, then we're talking. Okay, okay. Now, now I can I I, I can see him possibly beating Francis because, like I said, Sirogan is the next best heavyweight. Okay. And as far as Tai Tuivasa goes, I'm not sure what's next for him. I I I don't think he should have fought Sergey so soon after losing to Cyril Gaon. I mean he lost to him in September. And now he's fighting. He fought him again in December. And Sergey was already coming off of a dominant performance. He didn't get hit much. He was fresh. You know, like I I, I don't I don't like that 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 fight occurred, it, or at least for Tai Tuivasa, he shouldn't have fought him. He should at least gotten another tune-up fight so he could get back into the groove of losing to Cyril Gaon in a big fight. It was for the interim heavyweight championship just a couple of months ago. You know, like let me warm back up rather than getting right back in there with another burgeoning contender who is the real deal. I'm not saying she should have gave him somebody, you know. That is obviously way under his skill level. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like, like, look, that's why Sergey was the favorite. There's a reason why. And he showed it by knocking out Tai Tuivasa and winning performance of the night in just the first 55 seconds. Look, this man hasn't taken a lick of damage in the last half year. Match him up against Cyril Gaon next. That is the next fight to make with those with uh, Sergey. Please. An interesting fight that we saw on that card as well was Roman Delize. He beat Jack Hermanson via TKO in the second round in another performance of the night-worthy finish. And he did it using a move called the calf slicer to trap Hermanson's leg and pin him chest down onto the mat. And from there... Uh, Hermanson couldn't get his leg free. Delice 
began wailing hooks to the sides of Hermanson's head. And at that point, you know, if you can't go nowhere and you're just and the man on top is just pounding your face in, the referee has to stop it. Because you're not defending yourself. And what made it even worse and what made it look even more brutal was that Delice had all the leverage on top. He had Hermanson's right leg trapped. Like literally trapped, could not move it. And then he also pinned down Hermanson's left hand to the mat as well. So there's nothing that Hermanson could have done to defend himself other than turn his head to the side, which just opened up another area for Delice to just smash his head in. The first thing that it reminded me of was, uh, I don't know if anybody else watches WWE or watched the WWE, but John Cena's STF finisher, which is like a city, a city, or like a seated toehold face lock or something like that. I just call it the STFU because that sounds gangster. And that's what they used to call it before they went PG. It was very similar because, you know, John Cena would trap his opponent's leg wrap his arms around their neck, and just crank it. So, like Michael Bisping said, after uh, Delice got it done in that manner, he said every MMA gym, every MMA gym around the world is going to be training that today. They're going to be training that for the next week. They're going to be training their fighters to prepare for that in their next fight, or they're going to be training their fighters to use it in their next fight. That was the first time I ever seen that move. I had to look up what it was called because it was very unique. And it looked just as damaging as being caught in a crucifix position. So congratulations to Roman Delice. That looked really good. And that was very unique. Jonathan Pierce, I'm going to get to the undercard now. Jonathan Pierce beat Darren Elkins via unanimous decision. And Jonathan Pierce is my new fighter to look out for in 2023. The reason I say that is because as a fighter myself and as a tall man who fights in the smaller weight class of bantamweight, 135, I like watching fighters who have similar builds. Jonathan Pierce is six feet tall and 145 pounds, so that means he fights in the featherweight division. And just having that height advantage, that length advantage in the smaller weight classes is just interesting to watch. It's interesting to see how people will work around it. It's interesting to see how the taller fighter will use it to their advantage. I was very impressed with his performance. He did a great job using his uh, long-range attacks. And when he got in close, his use of elbows were very clean. Darren Elkins... I don't know how that man made it out of this fight standing. I don't know how that man did not leave out on a stretcher. I don't know how that man did not leave this fight choked out. Because he was beaten to a bloody pulp, but he was still standing at the end of the fight. Now, this is the MO. And for those who don't know who Darren Elkins is, this man has the danger. Okay? This is his nickname. Darren the Danger Elkins. And he has his nickname tattooed on the middle of his chest. 
Now, the last UFC card I talked about, we had Ryan Spann with the Superman tattoo in the middle of his chest. Now, on this card that I'm commentating on, that I'm analyzing and bringing to y'all on this day, we had another fighter that had a questionable tattoo on the middle of his chest. It says the danger, and it looks as if it was stitched into his skin. That's how the tattoo looks. And he has he got this nickname? No. Okay. His nickname is the Damage. I apologize. His nickname is Darren the Damage Elkins. It's his M.O. to get hit and to deal damage. It's his M.O. to look a bloody mess after the end of his fights. At the end of this fight against Jonathan Pierce, he had blood pouring down his face, a hole on the side of his head, blood dripping down his chest, his tongue. He had his tongue out. Just It completely looked red like Kool-Aid. And like I said, he has a tattoo on the middle of his chest that says the damage that looks as if it was stitched into his skin. Darren Elkins is a wild boy, but he's also a tough, tough, tough guy. He's probably going to keep fighting until he absolutely can't. He's a UFC veteran. Okay, and he's, you know, I'm sure the UFC will continue to put him on the prelim cards against up and coming contenders and another up and coming fighters because he, he sticks around in there. It's not like he just gets knocked out every time he steps into the cage. He sticks around. Sometimes he gets a win off. He at least makes it entertaining. Jonathan Pierce was trying to knock him out with the front kick. He was trying to hunt for that front kick finish that previous fighters like Anderson Silva and Leota Machida were able to do. But he couldn't get it done. Darren Elkins is tough. He got caught with them a couple times, but he is tough. Like the first strike that was thrown in the fight was a front kick to his face. That landed clean. Now, as far as that goes, and as far as watching Jonathan Pierce in the future and what I believe he should do next, he would have benefited greatly from mixing some front kicks to Darren Elkins' thighs and body before sending one up top. This is something that I learned training Muay Thai and something that I learned by actively fighting in a ring or a cage. You can't throw certain things naked. You can't throw certain things blindly. You can't, you know, telegraph certain kicks. After Jonathan Pierce threw the first five front kicks, Darren Elkins started to key in on him. Okay, well, now I'm just going to make sure I keep my hands up. I'm going to be able to start, start paring away some of these kicks. Because all Jonathan Pierce was doing was throwing him up top to his face. And when you develop a pattern like that, it's easy to defend against. Because now you know what's coming. And that's why I say if he would have thrown some to his legs, if he would have caught Darren Elkins off guard by, you know, teeping his chest and throwing some to his thighs and to his legs, it would have opened up the face front kick. Because if Darren Elkins was going to parry a body front kick, that's when you throw one up top. Mix it up. As a striker, you want to mix up your attacks. Even if you're hunting for a particular finish, you don't just throw it out the gate and then throw it again and then throw it again and throw it again. If I'm trying to get a flying knee finish, 
a flying knee knockout or a flying knee knockdown, I'm not just going to come out the gate throwing it. I'm going to set it up. That's how you take that next step as a striker. That's how you take that next step in your career. And that's how that's what I believe Jonathan Pierce should do in his next fight. You still want that front kick finish? That's cool. But this time, mix it up. Have your opponent thinking one thing and then trick him with another. He should have also mixed in some more long distance knees as a as a as the as the taller fighter, six feet tall. You're able to shoot your knees out and do some damage to the body from a further distance as a man that's shorter than you. Okay? He looked good up close. He threw a couple knees in when he was in, you know, clinch range, and he threw some elbows, of course, that cut Dan Elkins up. But... Mix in some more, you know, use all parts of your body. You're the taller fighter. You can get away with throwing things from a distance that shorter men can't. Long-range knees. You know, cover the distance by flying in with the knee. Set everything up using your jab. Catch your opponent off guard. You see him coming in. You see him trying to rush. Shoot a knee out real quick. Make him think about something. Shoot a teep to the body. If he does this, if he is able to incorporate long distance strikes and is incorporate mixing up and changing levels, I like Jonathan Pierce in this featherweight division. I can see him becoming a true contender. Okay, his ground and pound looked good. He was able to, you know, transition and keep Dan Elkins on his back as he was throwing vicious and violent elbows. Absolutely violent elbows. It, it, it was Dan Elkins looked a mess. Now, and I know it's the UFC, and I know it's MMA. It's going to be a bloody affair, but that was nasty. It's just something about a really bloody fight that just makes you think, wow. This is what I'm a fan of? If you're a fighter, this is what I participate in? But it's not a UFC card. If there isn't a fight that is absolutely disgustingly bloody. It happens every fight card. It's every fight card. There's one man or one woman whose face is just completely busted up. And it looks like they were just in a horror movie. It looks like somebody just came up to them with a knife and just started slicing away. And that's what draw me into this sport. That is what makes it so entertaining because we won't be able to see this anywhere else. And I love it, even with how disgusting it is. I love it. But that's going to wrap up the UFC Fight Night Holland or Stephen Thompson versus Holland card. A great card, like I said. A great card to be shown for free on national television. I'm sure the UFC got a whole lot of new fans that night. Super, 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 super fun. 
We have two more cards left in this year. Or is it three? I know for certain that the next one is a pay-per-view. And that one I'm hyped for. UFC 282. It happens December 10th, which is next Saturday. The main card starts at 10 p.m. And it's going to be headlined by two light heavyweights fighting for the uh, vacant light heavyweight championship. John Blachowicz and Magomed Akalov. Okay, this is going to be a fun fight just because of the two resumes that this man, that these men have. It was originally supposed to be a rematch between Jiri Prohaska and Glover Teixeira, but Jiri uh, vacated his title due to an undisclosed injury that he believed would sideline him for the foreseeable future. Glover Teixeira was offered to fight Magomed for the vacant belt, but as he was already training for Jiri and the fight was only about two weeks away when Jiri pulled out and vacated the belt, Glover decided, you know, it's fine. I'm just going to wait. The UFC wanted him to fight Magomed, but he would have to change his entire training camp. He didn't want to take that chance knowing that he's what in his 40s. He only has a couple more fights left, honestly. Every fight from here on out needs to be Precisely planned. So I respect Jiri for vacating the belt and not holding up the light heavyweight division with his injury. And I respect Glover for not caving in to, you know, outside voices into the UFC and, ha- and feeling like he has to fight just because he was originally slated for the car. You come first, especially in any industry. For anybody listening, you always come first. If you feel ready, by all means, go for it. But if you don't, and it's a, especially if it's a volatile industry like the UFC, where one knockout can send you from contender all the way back down to the middle of the pack, you come first. Your health comes first. Your image comes first. Your brand comes first. And Glover did not want to compromise any opportunity. By fighting Magomed on short notice, especially when you have to change, you have to change your entire training camp. Excuse me. Now, Jean Blahovich versus Magomed Akalov is going to be a fight that I have high expectations for, simply because the resumes that these two men have is absolutely ridiculous. Magomed, he's beaten multiple title fight contenders or title fight challengers. He only has one loss on his record, and he looks like he's the next big thing. John Blachowicz, on the other hand, he was the light heavyweight champion. He was the guy. He defended his belt multiple times. He beat Israel Adesanya when Izzy made his conquest to become another to become double champ in the light heavyweight division. These two men are great fighters, and I believe that it's going to be a fight that's going to be super entertaining. Magomed, that's what I have my money on if I was a betting man. Magomed is younger. He's hungrier, I believe. He's more, uh, 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 I believe he's a, a stronger man. But 
I'll never count John out. John Blackovich was the champion. He has been champion. He has shown up in big moments. So honestly, if John wins, I wouldn't be surprised. Even though I believe Magomed Akbar will become the new light heavyweight champion. On that same card, Patty Pimblett, the hottest commodity in the UFC right now, is going to be making his co-main event debut against Jared Gooden. Robbie Lawler is going to be on that card fighting Santiago Ponzinibbio. There's going to be a middleweight fight between Darren Till and Drikus Duplessis from South Africa. This is a big fight for Till because he's still ranked. I think he's ranked number nine in the middleweight division. But he only has one win in his last four fights. And he's going to be fighting a man that is on the rise. This is a big fight for Darren Till. Just because he still is in, you know, contender ranking. He hasn't looked very good recently. He needs something to get his confidence back. So I hope to at least fight, see a good fight, a good affair between the two. And then finally, the last notable event that I believe is, is going to um, um, be entertaining and fun to watch is going to be Raul Rojas Jr., the youngest fighter on the UFC roster, is making his pay-per-view debut on the prelims against J.P. Ren. Ra- Raul Rojas Jr. is an 18-year-old bantamweight. He competed in Dana White's Contender Series at the age of 17. He needed a special license to compete. And Dana White himself said, age doesn't matter for this kid. He's legit. I'm invested because I'm also a bantamweight fighter at 135 pounds. I'm maybe two years older than him. Yeah, I'm two years older than him. We, ha- we both have our birthdays in the same month. And I just want to see the kids succeed because, you know, that can be inspiration for me. Who knows what's in, 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 in store for the future? It gives them a lot of, of, of experience by beating a grown man on a pay-per-view stage in front of all these folks on the prelims. Look, I'm excited. It's going to be a good card, folks. It's going to be a good card to cap off the year. We'll be, I'll be talking to y'all about it next week. I might talk about, you know, I might talk about the Falcon. Or not, no, I'm ne- let's not go there. I might talk about some NFL football to y'all next week as well. We might talk about some contenders and some pretenders. And we only have five weeks left in the year. We're getting into playoff time. Basketball. A lot of teams, like I said, are starting to sort it out. Players are starting to find their role, like Anthony Davis. Teams are beginning to show their true colors, like the Utah Jazz, the Los Angeles Clippers. So next week we might bring y'all, I might bring y'all a longer episode where we talk about everything. The UFC, the NFL, the NBA. It's gonna be fun. So be on the lookout. Next week. Enjoy y'all's week. Watch some good football. Watch some good basketball. I'll try to enjoy Atlanta sports. A lot of trouble in paradise in Atlanta right now. The college football playoffs are approaching. Go dogs! If you're not rooting for the Georgia Bulldogs, I don't care. Don't talk to me. 
I might go to Georgia State, but I am a Georgia boy. And with that, I wrap up another episode of the Hear Me Roar podcast. Follow me on social media, Twitter, at the number 2, T-O-N-E underscore 69. And at, or on Instagram, at the number 2, T-O-N-E underscore 69. That is two-tone underscore 69. Follow me on there. That's where you will see clips of each episode. That's where you will see when I post them. You're going to see some cool outfits by me too, you know what I'm saying? On Twitter, I live tweet about the Falcons, the Hawks, and UFC pay-per-views and other events. So interact with me. Let me know your thoughts on this episode. Let me know what you're looking forward to on the next UFC card. Let me know how you're doing today. Let me know how you're doing, period. Let me know what's on your mind. doesn't matter. Let's discuss it. But for that, that wraps it up. I'll catch y'all on the next episode. Peace.